homeowners lobby group vereniging eigen huis. Eigen, eigen huis? Yes. Eigen huis. Eigen, eigen huis. It's Friday, April 19th. Good Friday, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master's student in civil engineering and two-lagged cheese worm. I can't believe you used that as your job. Today. Yeah, you, you, you ordered me to do I so, did. so yeah, I had no choice. And with me today is Molly Quell. You heard her already. She's a contributing editor at Dutch News and Rural Museum fan. A third regular podcast host, Gordon Derrick, isn't here today. He has Brexited us again for uh, child-related nonsense. I know. It's like being a single parent is hard or something. Yeah. But the weird thing about Good Friday is that all government... Uh, facilities are closed, including schools. Yeah. But the rest of the country it just is just open. Is open, yeah. so that all every year that just creates this problem with people who have children but right. have a job, they have to right. come up with something. So uh, yeah, we can't blame uh, Gordon for this. For once, we uh, we blame the government. Oh, okay. We can blame the yeah? government instead okay. of Gordon. That's fine. So how's being a two-legged cheese worm working out for I, you, I don't. I, I forgot what it re- what it referred to. I just know that you said that I have to call myself this. Uh, so uh, can you can you explain why I am a two-legged cheese worm? I can. It's because I am reading, I think it's called An Embarrassment, The Embarrassment of Riches, An Embarrassment of Riches, um, which is a 700-page uh, book about the history of the Netherlands during the 17th century. Oh, wow. That's it's a... a f- quite, it's apparently a bit of a famous book. It came out I think in the early 90s, so it's it's been a few ah, years now. Okay. I'm reading it for review for Dutch News, so you can look forward to my review on the subject. Um, but, you know, if you're in for 700 pages of Dutch history, it's actually quite entertaining. And they had a whole section on how the rest of the world perceived the Dutch during this time. Yeah. Um, and y'all did not have a great reputation. And there was this letter that a had, British had guy had it, written. Had it to do something with the genocides? and the, uh... Uh, No, they thought that you guys were distrustworthy and also that you like loved your children too much. <laughs> we loved our children yeah, too much. Yeah, there's a whole chapter on child rearing and like how the Dutch loved their children too much. <laughs> you, were, you kissed your children goodnight and therefore this made you, your children all terrible ah yeah, yeah. well it, it oh and you let your women ice skate that was also a thing that oh was wow scandalous. yeah and in other european countries women can't no ice of skate? course not jesus oh. doesn't approve of that so if you follow me on twitter at molly quell i'm a plug for my twitter i've been tweeting funny excerpts from this book but there was this letter from a british guy who referred to the dutch as untrustworthy and called them two-legged cheese worms uh, which is now what i'm referring to paul as because i'm dutch yeah of yeah. course okay yeah that makes sense and you you are a fan of a rural museum, so you can uh, talk a little bit more about your Twitter experiences. I can't believe we're going to give a shout out to the Museum of English Rural Life here on our podcast. It's sure, but it's a, it's a very fun museum. It is a very fun museum. We've so never been We've there, never but... been, but they have a very funny Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, at least that's very fun. So this, this museum, you know, has kind of an entertaining Twitter account. I don't know who's behind their social media channels, but they're quite good and quite Probably funny. a massive sheep. I'm sh- Yeah, possibly a massive sheep. And about, I think it was about two years ago, I'm not sure, they were tweeting some photos from their archives and they tweeted a picture of this like ram who was huge um, and they tweeted it with the caption look at this absolute unit and it went quite viral on twitter and they've had a few other like viral things that have come up they've been into like some fights with some other museums and these sorts of things they had a bat that got into the museum that caused a whole bunch of like drama that they were like live tweeting completely out of the blue this week elon musk changed his changed <laughs> which his... is also very random it's just yeah. totally random it's like the internet is such a weird place <laughs> yeah he changed his uh twitter bio to be absolute unit and then tweeted a photo of the sheep but didn't credit the museum so the museum has taken some like sort of umbrage at this and in retaliation has changed their twitter photo to elon musk <laughs> and they're sort of engaging in this kind of like war with it's elon a musk feud yeah this twitter feud yeah, so very fun. i had told my lovely boyfriend that i wanted to go to this museum several months ago naturally you want to go there of, of course, course. and yeah. he told me that it was ridiculous to go to a museum because you think they're funny on twitter i think that's ridiculous i agree with you Paul and I can go to this museum. The, my partner's been away on a on a tr- on a work trip, and he came back last night, and I was like, "So this museum, you know that you remember this random Twitter museum?" And he was like, "Yes, I thought it was ridiculous that you wanted to go there." I said, "Yeah, now they've picked a fight with Elon Musk," and he was like, "Okay, now I'm interested <laughs> in going." So maybe that's what we'll do over our summer vacation: yes, is go to the yes. Museum of English Rural Life. Where in England is it? I have no idea. Some bullshit town. Some rural I think. town. Some rural probably. town. Yeah. yeah. 
So talk to me about, uh, you're finally back, Paul, because yes. you've been gone for forever, and we've been forced to read your Ophef instead of you being here to You didn't like that? that? Um, it was, it, I don't, it's, it was too... It's better when I do it. It's better when you do it. Okay, I thought you, you all did a very good job. Thank though. you, we appreciate the compliments, but it's, uh, you know, it's really your thing, so it's nicer to have you here. That's true. You here doing yes. It. So tell us, what is the Ophef of the week? The uh, Ophef of the week is about Yvonne Jaspers, and she is the presenter of the, uh, well, famous uh, farmer's dating show, Boersucht Vrouw. How do you have so many farmers in a country of 17 million people that need a wife? I think the show just went into its 17th yeah, season or something. Insane. And there are 15 farmers involved every season. Yeah. But uh, the the funny thing about this show is that it actually works. So there are already a number of uh, Boersuchtfrau babies born. Uh, oh God, so yeah, totally it is crazy. it is a very successful dating show and a very popular Dutch, dating Dutch show. Dutch reality TV is such a weird underworld. It is, it is. Okay, let's go back to the... Uh, yeah, but back to the op uh, It is um, presented by Yvonne Jaspers and uh, the Public Broadcasting Services Ethic Commission launched an official inquiry after her after it was revealed that uh, Yvonne Jaspers took on a side job as the face of four farmers and that's Europe's uh, largest producer of cattle food. Jaspers' job was uh, to promote farm life and that's something she also does in the Farmers Dating Show and uh, also uh, one of her other programs. So the commission ruled that there was no conflict of interest but they said they should have been more careful. Uh, Jaspers was a guest in late night talk show Pau on Tuesday where she talked about how terrible and devastating the inquiry was for her but at the same table uh, the father and uncle of Anna Faber were sitting. Anna Faber was raped and killed in 2017. Yeah, this, we talked about this on the podcast, I think, two weeks ago. Gordon and I talked about it. Yes, because this... uh, the, the, the the guy who uh, who killed her was a, a psychiatric patient yeah. and he was uh, allowed to 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 leave his uh, psychiatric uh, institution. Yeah. Yeah, but social media exploded during this interview, with many pointing out on Twitter that Jasper's problem might not be so large uh, compared to uh, the family of uh, Anna Faber. Yeah, so it was really... I think so. That's a weird... Why did they... I don't understand why they scheduled these two together. Yeah, I, I think that uh, or at least she Jasper should have said I'm not gonna sit there with yeah. them and talk about my yeah stupid problems but yeah, yeah it's, she she did and uh, yeah it was a yeah. really uh, awkward interview yeah. especially with uh, with these family members sitting opposite to her yeah that's very uh, distasteful yes this week we update you on coalition talks in the provinces, see what the state of the housing market is in the Netherlands and, and tell you how a decorated war hero came into trouble. Yeah. In our discussion, uh, as King's Day is approaching, we'll talk about uh, the pros and cons of having a monarchy. I specifically try to avoid talking about Forum for Democratie in yeah. the half of the week. How'd that work out for you? Well, it worked out in the half, but still we have to talk about Forum for Democratie. And two minutes later, here we are. And here we are. Forum for Democratie may be one of the five parties forming a coalition to run Flevoland following last month's provincial elections. The party won the most votes nationwide and was the biggest in three of the 12 provinces. Businesswoman Annemarie van Gaal, who has been charged with putting a coalition together in Flevoland, is recommending that Forum, the VVD, PvdA, CDA and ChristenUnie continue the negotiations to form a provincial administration. It's a very broad uh, coalition. That is a broad coalition. <laughs> I have to say. Uh, according to the Volkskrant, Forum has said it is willing to compromise on climate policy in order to ensure it has a seat at the negotiating table. The party, set up two years ago by Thierry Baudet, is opposed to wind turbine developments. In Flevoland, however, the party is prepared to accept that turbines already in the planning will be built in return for a uh, moratorium on further development. The five parties also backed the long-awaited uh, expansion of Lelystad Airport, which the government sees as an overspill airport for Schip. And what about uh, in the other provinces? In uh, Zuid-Holland, um, the other province where Forum uh, emerged as the biggest party, uh, Forum, the VVD and CDA have been in preliminary coalition talks. Another party will be needed to ensure a majority though. Forum has been uh, cut out of the negotiations in six other provinces because of its position on climate change. On Wednesday, the PvdA in Overijssel stepped out of uh, week-long coalition talks with CDA, VVD, ChristenUnie and Forum for Democratie because their voters, quote, are too worried about a possible cooperation with uh, Forum for Democratie. More people in the Netherlands are pessimistic about the housing market, and the Homeowners Confidence Index dipped into negative figures for the first time in four and a half years in March. That's according to Homeowners Lobby Group Vereniging Eigen House. 
Owners and buyers are particularly pessimistic in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and The Hague, as well as in the east and the south of the country, they said. That's basically the whole country besides Utrecht, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, it's, it's everybody. Like... Everyone is pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. When people are negative about the market, they are more likely to put off buying a home or to uh, pull out of buying one altogether. Are you pessimistic about the housing market? You just bought a house. We just bought a house. So um, you don't have to worry about the yeah, housing Yeah, I don't know that we're really thinking about the housing market. I put a moratorium on discussing other houses for sale nearby. My partner likes to look at Funda still. and oh, I find he's it, a Funda Yeah, funder. he's a Funda, yeah. And I find it stressful, so we do not discuss this. The only time we discuss <laughs> it is like when a particularly huge or ostentatious house comes up for sale and then we want to look have at Have you pictures. looked at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but we don't look at anything in the neighborhood. But what does positivity or negativity mean? Does it mean that people are not confident that they can buy another house or yeah. is it that... Yeah, I mean, I think it means a couple of things. One is is that I think people are concerned about being able to resell their house afterwards. So say, for example, you're a young couple who's renting now and you're thinking about buying a house and you're thinking like, okay, so we want to buy a house, but we know in a couple of years we want to have kids. And then at some point we're probably going to want like a bigger house where yeah. we can park the car in the suburbs. So if we buy something now, am I going to be able to sell it in a couple of years? And mm. people are now thinking... Like, maybe that's not going to be possible. Or that they are, like, concerned that if they buy something right now, that, like, the bottom is going to fall out of the market and that they're going to lose, yeah. their home's going to lose, like, a lot of value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's not the only housing news this week, right? No, there are 53 neighborhoods in the Netherlands where more than half of the houses cost at least 1 million euros. Mm. That's according to new research by housing valuation company Kalkasa. Can you guess what the richest street in the country is, Paul? Well, I know for a fact that a couple of years ago, the most expensive neighborhood was in Rosendale. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That was really weird. But that covered the entire neighborhood. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it was the most expensive neighborhood, but at least it came into the top 10 or something Interesting. like that. Interesting. But I'm from Brabant and, uh, well, we all live in sheds with ecstasy labs. I have to read this from the script. I, <laughs> I just... can't believe you read this from the script. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. So I don't know where it is. Tell it's us. It's in the leafy Koninginnenlaan in Wassenaar. Koninginnenlaan. Yeah. Oh, Koninginnenlaan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bunnyland. Yeah. It's the leafy Koninginnenlaan in Wassenaar, near The Hague, and the average house there costs two and a half million euros. Amsterdam, of course, has the most million euro homes, with more than 10,000 homes valued at more than a million euros. And the top 10 streets with the most houses costing more than a million euros are all in the Dutch capital. The Kaisergracht, of course, continues to lead the list with 415 million plus wow. homes, followed by the Prinsengracht and then the Valierestraat in Zoud. Oh, wow. You made a mistake, which uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the monarchy later. Yeah. But uh, the first king of the Netherlands... That was Louis Napoleon, the brother of Napoleon. Yes. And he made the famous mistake by saying, he wanted to say, I'm your king. But yeah. then he said with his French accent, I am your bunny. Ik ben your konijn. Yeah. So he, and yeah, you made the I same mistake. I also made the same mistake. So yes. I thought that was uh, funny. It's fitting. It's, it's fitting very mistake. fitting. The number of people dying on Dutch roads increased almost 11% last year, with a total of 678 killed in road, bike or other accidents, according to National Statistics Agency CBS, which is the largest increase since 1989. In total, 233 motorists and 228 cyclists died on the Dutch roads, while the number of people killed while using mobility scooters rose from 25 in 2017 to 44 last year. Most notable is the sharp rise in traffic deaths in the province of Noord-Brabant, where 150 people were killed last year, a rise of 50% on 2017. Last year, the government outlined plans to reduce the number of traffic deaths to zero by 2050. We knew it was an unrealistic target, but it should be the aim, Transport Minister Cora van Nieuwenhuizen told broadcaster NOS in response to the new CBS figures. Is there an explanation for like this huge increase in traffic deaths? There's not one explanation, but it's probably a combination of factors. On one hand, uh, the roads are becoming more and more crowded, so every year more people start cycling and people just tend to use their cars more often, so that simply means there's more traffic on the road and thus uh, more chance uh, uh, on accidents and uh, injuries. But Cora van Nieuwenhuizen thinks uh, the rise in fatalities may also be connected to the fact that the population is getting older. Uh, if an older person has an accident, it is more likely to be serious, she said. The minister said that uh, she's now analyzing the findings to be able to take the most effective measures. And Amsterdam uh, already... Uh, 
uh, did that with the ban of scooters on uh, on bike lanes, which caused a lot of uphaf. But it is a remarkable uh, increase, and I read somewhere that the figures of traffic-related deaths in North Brabant last year were quite low. So that can also explain why. Um, oh, the increase to, was so much. Yeah, yeah, because maybe this year it's more than average, and last year it was less, less than, than average. average. But still, it is uh, it is a sharp yeah. rise. The last stall on Amsterdam's floating flower market tourist attraction, which actually sells made-to-order bouquets, is closing down. I had never heard of this thing. No? No, never heard of it. Oh, it's a pretty big, like, tourist trap thing. Yeah, okay. Um, Michael Sarlos, whose family began selling flowers on the market in 1943, said he has, quote, had enough and he is selling up. The flower market, or the Blumenmarkt, traces its history back to 1862, when flowers and plants were sold directly to consumers from boats moored on the edge of the single canal. However, stalls selling tourist souvenirs and bulbs have now taken over. A spokeswoman for the Centrum Borough Council said that officials are not happy about the flower market either and they want to make it, quote, more attractive. She said that the fact that the last florist is leaving is a, quote, real shame. But there's also some happy tulip news. There is. Prime Minister Mark Rutte has named a tulip. Oh, wow. Actually, he christened a tulip. A new tulip variation was created. They get names and Rutte got to name this one. It is called the Don White Tulip, which is, according to the Prime Minister, a tribute to Mr. Don White. Mr. White was a part of the Royal Canadian Dragoons. He was part of the group of people that liberated Leowarda, and that's sort of dedicated to all of the soldiers who liberated the Netherlands during the Second World War. So, yeah, yeah. so he uh, regularly comes over to the Netherlands uh, for Veterans Day yeah. and for, for occasions like that and Margarita he met uh, Mr. Don White a couple of years ago and yeah. he was really impressed with him and uh, initially the idea was to name this tulip after Margarita but yeah. Margarita declined and he yeah. said I think uh, only after 25 years of service as Prime Minister it's fitting to name a tulip after me so yeah. not yet yeah. this time is coming but not yet yeah. so he uh, instead said let's uh, let's name it after Mr. Don White and it is also a white tulip so, it I, is think a white tulip, so very, I think it's very fitting very fitting and there is also apparently in Canada a very large tulip festival yes. every year in Ottawa, I think, because during the war, the royal family, where they are again, they moved to Canada, and in Ottawa was Princess Margit born. Was born. She was born there, and uh, every year in uh, celebration of her birthday, this tulip festival um, is held, and uh, a lot of tulips are sent over to Canada. So I uh, suggest that they uh, will use the uh, Don White tulip in the future, but I'm sure they will. Yeah. Amsterdam football club Ajax has reached the semi-finals of the Champions League for the first time in 22 years by beating Juventus 1-2 in the second leg of their quarter-final tie. Ajax, who had to go through three qualification rounds to make their main tournament, held Juventus to a home draw last week. After a header by Ronaldo gave Juventus an early lead, Donny de Beek equalized for the visitors before the break and Ajax 19-year-old captain Matthijs de Ligt made it 1-2 in the 67th minute. Ajax earlier put out Real Madrid with an away win to clinch their quarterfinal spot. Matthijs de Ligt told Dutch television after the game, Can we go on to win the competition? Well, we are in the semi-finals now and we have eliminated two of the favourites in the last two rounds. The next games will be very difficult, but so were these ones, so who knows? Ajax will take on uh, Tottenham Hotspur in their quest for a place in the final. The first leg will be played in London on Tuesday, April 30th, with the return leg on Wednesday, May 8th in Amsterdam. Are there any sports news I actually care about, Paul? Yes, there okay. was. Gymnast Epke Zonderland, who is your favorite, right? Uh, it is my favorite Dutch gymnast, yes. N- not overall favorite gymnast? I thought you were a huge fan of Epke Zonderland. I'm a huge fan of his arm muscles, I think. Oh, I don't know okay, if I'm a huge it. fan of him. Okay, well, he uh, won his third European title on the high bar in... Um, I'm not going to pronounce this name. <laughs> it's in Poland. Zitzkin? Zitzkin? I don't know. I have no idea. This is undoable. Yeah. But it was in Poland. Uh, the 33-year-old Frisian doctor received an enormous score. I didn't of... know he was a doctor. Yes. Yeah. He okay. Is. Now, uh, now he's now you are interested. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's Frisian. And he's Frisian. Love a good yes, Frisian yeah. man. So, but he won this uh, enormous score of 15.266 points, and that's uh, almost a record for his spectacular performance, uh, which he finished with a perfect landing. It's always very nice to see when yeah. you land perfectly. Zonderland, uh, who has the nickname the Flying Dutchman won the same title in 2011 and 2014 and in 2012 he won a golden medal at the Olympics in London where he surprised the world with a combination of three bar routines in a row. This is a fun story. This story is insane. <laughs> I knew that the story was crazy when I started working on the script yesterday. But and then I then I got crazy? into it and it was it's so crazy. Hmm. So a decorated Dutch soldier has been suspended from duties for allegedly headbutting a police officer this week. 
Marco Krohn, who had been awarded the Netherlands' highest honor for bravery in 2009, is now being investigated for abusive and insulting behavior during the last Carnival Sunday in Den Bosch. So what did he do exactly? According to the Public Prosecution Service, the police caught Krohn on the evening of March 3rd for my favorite Dutch word of all time, wildplasse, or wild peeing, which refers to someone using the bathroom outside rather than the actual bathroom. Is there, is there no English word for this? I don't think so. Like oh. public urination, I guess. But yeah, it doesn't, it's not like as fun. It doesn't have the same ring to yeah. it, no. When police attempted to cite him, he allegedly showed them his genitals and then gave them the middle finger, and then he headbutted one. Yeah, he was already peeing, so I mean, his he- his, his genitals, genitals were, were already, already out. They were I guess. already out. Yes. Is it known how, what he was dressed up like? No, unfortunately not. I, I looked it, really hard to see if I could find. Oh yeah, if it was like a clown or something. Oh my god, it would be, that be would amazing. be fitting. Yeah. But this is uh, not the first time though that Cohen had got some negative publicity, right? No, it's not. He was sentenced in a military court to pay a fine and serve community service for drugs and weapons possession in 2011. He admitted to owning the stun guns in question, but denied that he used the cocaine, which was the drug in question. And there was also an incident in Afghanistan. Yeah, so this just keeps getting crazier and crazier. In 2017, after he returned home, he claimed that while in Afghanistan in 2007, he was captured by enemy soldiers, tortured. Later, he claimed, in 2018, in a separate interview, he claimed that he was raped during this. He said that he escaped, but later ran into one of the kidnappers who he then killed. After an investigation into the claim, the defense ministry was unable to corroborate Crohn's claim. The conclusion is that the defense ministry cannot confirm the story is real. There is no evidence it happened, a ministry official said. Okay, and why is he so famous in the first place? He was awarded the Militaire Willems Order by Queen Beatrix in 2009. This is the first time this award had been given in 53 years. Uh, it was given for actions that he took in Afghanistan in 2006 during a battle with Taliban fighters, during which Crone managed to save all of his men. And after the battle was over, he ordered his men to treat the wounded enemy combatants. So what now? Now he has been suspended from duty. He cannot wear his uniform or participate in military activities. And his suspension is pending an investigation by the defense ministry. If he's found guilty in military court, he could be dismissed. So what I think happened, I have no uh, proof of this. Okay, that's but, my favorite topic of discussion. But in uh, 2009, the defense ministry had some sort of image problem. I mean, they were involved in Iraq and there was a lot of upheaval yeah. about them. And I think in a sort of PR stunt, they thought... Uh, maybe we should just award someone with the highest military medal. Which hasn't been given out in 50 years. Exactly. So it was about time that someone got them. And, you know, if you have some sort of hero, then that's a great PR stunt. So they gave it to Marco Krohn, who, you know, from what I read, that the thing he did with the Taliban fighters and treating... Yeah, it seems very, like, honorable and worth awarding. Yeah, Worth awarding. But they never could have guessed that afterwards Marco Krohn would run into so much trouble. Yeah. And or, it, you know, sort of in an effort to find somebody to give this award to, they maybe did not do their due diligence on other yeah. issues that he had had or something like that. That um, might be the case as well. Yeah. So we've seen afterwards that the Militaire Willems audit has been handed out a couple of more times yeah. after this. I think just as a way to, you know... Yeah, downplay his Downplay his, uh, his important role and also to... Um, maybe put him out of the spotlight, spotlight a little yeah. bit. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not staying out of the spotlight because he keeps wild showing peeing, his general, general showing his junk officers. away and owning yeah. stun guns that he's not supposed to have. We'll be discussing the pros and cons of the monarchy after this word from our sponsors. Hey, you. Yes, you listening to this podcast for free. We're really glad you like all of our Uphef coverage and our dick lawyer jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work that we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to donate. We will give a shout out to all of our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender strope waffles. For 75 euros, I will suffer through one entire football match. For the low, low price of only 100 euros, Paul will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to support us and to keep Truby fed. His dog food is extremely expensive. Every year in the days before King's Day on April 27th, a survey is done after the popularity of the monarchy. They didn't ask me. 
No? No, I wasn't asked. Oh. This year saw a remarkable shift, though. Support for the monarchy under young adults has dropped sharply. Now only 55% of youngsters say they prefer a king to a president, compared to 70% in 2007. Support for the monarchy among older Dutch uh, people remain unchanged at around 80%, so we thought let's have a discussion about the monarchy and see what the advantages and disadvantages are of having a monarchy in the Netherlands. So, Paul, uh, how did the Netherlands become a monarchy? Well, I already know this because yes, I'm reading this I, I was just going to say, to say you, can, you, you are probably better informed to tell this story. No, I, the only things that I know about uh, Dutch history are that you let your women ice skate and that you're a bunch of two-legged <laughs> cheese worms. That's my only takeaway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, members of the House of Orange Nassau, and that's the name of the royal family, they have been involved uh, in Dutch history for centuries, dating, dating back to uh, Prince William of Orange, who led the Dutch revolt against Spain uh, in the Eighty Years' War. What's your, is your book about the 80 years war no but it does mention the 80 years ah, war okay um william of orange was shot in 1588 in delft in delft and you can his... see the bullet hole in the wall yeah you, st- you can still see it well there's a lot of people you know were poking their fingers yeah. into this hole and now, now it's... it's uh it's bricked off, or it's like plexiglassed yeah. off oh it is oh, yeah. i didn't know that well he was shot in 1588 and his offspring has remained on the dutch political scene ever since officially the netherlands was a republic in the centuries after the 80 years war but the country was uh, almost continuously led by members of that family until the french conquered the netherlands after the french revolution in 1803 the netherlands was briefly turned into a kingdom by napoleon with his brother as a king um, and after the defeat of Napoleon in the Battle of Waterloo, the Conference of Vienna decided to turn uh, the Netherlands into a kingdom together with Belgium and Luxembourg. Uh, A member of the House of Orange-Nassau, who had been living in exile in England after the French uh, came to the Netherlands, was asked asked to take the throne. He accepted and he uh, became King William I of the United Kingdom of the Netherlands in 1815. Belgium has left us, but the Oranges didn't, and uh, we still have uh, a king. Yes. So, Do you miss Belgians? Do you think Belgians should be part of, uh, of the Netherlands? I mean, I think it would make more sense if Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands were all just one country. Like, <laughs> because now it's just because it just doesn't make any sense. Of small, tiny yeah. countries. I mean, I'm sure the Belgians and Luxembourg don't agree with that, but yeah. I think as a completely objective outsider, it should all just be one country. Yeah, we lost uh, Luxembourg because of the patriarchy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you didn't, you managed to hold on to Limburg, which I think makes even less sense. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So uh, a lot has changed since then, not the least of which is that <laughs> Luxembourg and Belgium uh... <laughs> are no longer part of the country. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But in terms of government, uh, in the beginning, the Netherlands was sort of an absolute monarchy. There was a constitution, but the king had uh, a lot of uh, wide powers. Uh, but this changed during the reign of William II in 1848. Uh, he accepted the constitution, which basically turned the country into a parliamentary democracy and installed an essential essential aspect um, of the constitution, which is the ministerial responsibility. Do you know what that is? No, but I'm hoping you're going to tell us. Article 88 of the constitution says that uh, cabinet ministers bear the ultimate responsibility for the actions of the king. And that basically means that uh, the king cannot do anything without the, um, uh, or at least publicly, without the approval of the cabinet. So how much power does the king, does King Willem Alexander currently uh, have? Well, in theory, he has quite a lot of power. Um, Because, for example, a, a bill can only turn into law when he signs it. So he can theoretically just refuse to sign anything and then, you know, it doesn't... Become a bill. Or become a law. Become a law. Uh, He would never do that, but I mean... Theoretically, he has that power. And also, the king is uh, uh, officially a part of the government. It's formed by the cabinet and the king. Uh, the king also has a weekly meeting with the prime minister. But what is said there, we, we don't know. It's never disclosed. But they're not going to talk about uh, your dog, for example. They're I probably, think they should talk about Truby. They definitely should, but that's not... Truby probably... is the king of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, we agreed, uh, we agreed on that uh, earlier. That's right. The Netherlands has two kings. Uh, <laughs> there is Willem Alexander and there's Truby. And there's Truby. Yeah. But what, what has been said in these meetings yeah we don't know but they probably discuss all sorts of policy related stuff definitely it's uh, strictly confidential um the king also uh, is the chair of the raad van state the council of state uh, that's the most important advisor to the government and also to the tweede kamer so every bill has first go to the council of state and they will give an advisory on you know should you vote on it or not um, so officially the king is the chair of the Council of State, but uh, uh, he only takes a seat on that council on ceremonial occasions. Oh, okay. So he's never there in the day-to-day business. Yeah. Um, and that's why the vice chair of the Raad van State is the effective chair, and he's also called the deputy, deputy king. king. 
of the ja. Netherlands, de onderkoning. And the king also, uh, of course, names uh, mayors, provincial governors, ministers, ambassadors. I also, also think judges, but I'm yeah. not sure about that. Um, yeah, but that's all, only on the instruction of the cabinet, of, yeah. of course. But that's that's the thing. These, these are um, that he only does this on the instruction of the cabinet is not part of the constitution, but it's a constitutional convention. So yeah, it, we we do it this way because you know it grew this way over the years. But theoretically, he can just appoint any anyone. Yeah. He can appoint Truby to be the mayor of Delft. Oh wow, that, that would be fantastic. That would be an improvement. Yeah. yeah, no more drug-related crimes. No, no more drug-related crimes. Yeah. So the king or queen monarch used to have a role in forming uh, government coalitions, right? And after this last in the last government, there was less of a role or no role in uh, for the monarch in forming a government coalition. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it used to be the case that after the elections, the party leaders would be invited to the palace to talk to the queen. Uh, about whom they think should form a coalition. And, you know, based on these talks, the Queen would invite someone to become the informateur. So. Which is the best word ever. Yeah, you like, I like the word informateur. But you also liked uh, Wildplasser. I like Wildplasser too. I said Wildplasser was my favorite. Uh, Wildplasser the informateur. Yeah, that would be that would be the best op ever. That would be the yeah. informateur got busted for Villa Plaza. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. But the informateur is the one who you know leads the coalition talks, and then the formateur really scrambles together all the ministers. And right. these persons would usually, uh, in the past, uh, would be appointed by the queen. But in 2009, the Tweede Kamer accepted a motion. Oh, 2011, sorry, accepted a motion that said um, that the parliament would take the initiative in this, so they would um, uh, name the formateur and the informateur. But the king is not excluded from this role, yeah. so he can still, in if the if the Tweede Kamer doesn't agree on anything, then they could just still say let let the king do this. Yeah, um, it was interesting because during the last coalition process, which took uh, For approximately ages, four thousand years, something like that, there was some discussion about how this might actually be better if the monarchy yeah. was still involved in yeah. the process, yeah. which is yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Because the first time it went very quickly. Yeah, it was between the PvdA and the PvdA, and yeah. they 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 made a coalition agreement within a couple of weeks. Like uh, I seven think. minutes after the it election. was seven minutes after the election, and they already yeah. agreed on everything. And then uh, we thought, oh, we this don't isn't really so need bad. the king yeah. or the queen. But now, in when when the coalition talks take forever, yeah. then so- sometimes you think we really need an independent person. And of yeah. course, the independent person that was involved in these coalition talks was the chairwoman, Katia Arip, yeah. who we all very very much trust very much like and very much like. But yeah, is she really independent? Yeah, that's a that's a that's yeah the, because she's not. I mean, she's a member of a political party, which yeah. I also think makes it like slightly less, like her position slightly less, yeah, objective in that way. Yeah, even though we don't have a feeling that she in any how no. any way no, involved I, her party, but theoretically that could happen, yeah. of course. Um, yeah, but yeah, then the question is, why can't we have an elected president? I don't know why can't we have an elected president, Paul? Uh, well. Uh, um, I think what I think is the most appealing thing of having a king in the Netherlands is that he is apolitical. Yeah. Uh, well, we don't have a really idea what his political opinions are. No. We, we, we can guess them, but yeah. uh, we don't really know it. I would eat my headphones to find if I found out that the king does not vote for the baby day. You think he's... A, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Because Absolutely. of his red pants, yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so, too. But maybe we should talk a little bit about... So, like, in Germany, we were discussing this earlier, right? They have a chancellor and a president. Neither yeah. of us could name the German president. No. Um, but that person basically serves as, like, a sort of elder statesman figurehead the kind of person who goes to a lot of, like, ribbon cuttings and, like, presides over things and, like, that kinds of stuff. Leaving the job of, like the tough job sort of of governing to the chancellor, who is Angela Merkel, who everybody has heard of. Yeah. And in the Netherlands, what you have is the tough job of actual governing is left to the prime minister. So that's Mark Rutte. And then like when you need someone to do like a ribbon cutting and stuff like that, or like go, you know, say something nice at a, during a, some kind of tragedy or whatever, people often look to the king. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then the question is, I mean, Germany elects a president, it's, they're a figurehead, why doesn't the Netherlands do that? Yeah. But a president has to be elected, of course. There right. is, by definition, there is some sort of democratic process yeah. uh, uh, involved in electing a president. And that means that you have people that are opposed to this person right. and people that are in favor of this person. Yeah. I don't have a feeling that the president of Germany is a very political or a very divisive 
subject, but right. still, but you, still, it's you, political still position. It. And you know, by constitution in the Netherlands, you can't disagree with the king because yeah. he doesn't have an opinion. Right. So yeah, politically speaking, you can't disagree with the king, but you know, the whole. Uh, hereditary yeah. uh, <laughs> position, privileged thing. Does seem very odd. Does seem days. to be very odd. But then the question is, does um, having a monarchy, a parliamentary monarchy in the Netherlands, does it damage the democracy in the Netherlands? Do you have a feeling that we, our country is less democratic? I don't get the feeling that the country is less democratic because of that. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that the king doesn't, I mean, has some informal power, but like, I, I mean, arguably so do most like rich business owners, right? Like have some amount of informal governmental power. Um, and, you know, if you want to argue or have a discussion about how much that influences democracy, I think that's valid, but I don't think the king has any more or any less than like the CEO of Shell does necessarily in terms of like influence that he can exert. Um, I mean, I do think that there's this question about what would happen if the king did refuse to sign a law, which I think would, I mean, we've talked about this before. I think it would, we both think it would create a constitutional crisis and that would be the end of the monarchy, basically. Um, You know, maybe unless it was some sort of really, really extreme circumstance. But I just can't picture a system, you know, a situation under which the monarch would refuse to, would do something aside from yeah. what the, you know, like appoint a mayor that they, you know, that they don't want, you know, appointing Truby as mayor of Delft, right? Like, <laughs> would he, would he really oppose that? I don't know. Don't I mean, would so. the public but really I, oppose I, that? I'm yeah. not sure how the legislative process in Germany is, but I assume that also the president has to yeah, I think there's like some bills into law as well, yeah. but he can also, then he has, when you elect a president, yeah, you have then he has the democratic, um, how do you say that? Uh, like obligation to take seriously, that not just like rubber stamp stuff, right? But like maybe think about whether or not he wants to sign it and have an opinion on these things. Yeah, Whereas like you feel like Willem Alexander is just there for like the ceremony of like putting a signature on the paper. Yeah, right? exactly. It's li- literally just a, a formality yeah. in, the, in, the, in the case of Willem Alexander. But if you are an elected president and I don't know, you're someone who is very much opposed to abortion and you have always said that and yeah. everybody knows that's something that... Um, belongs to you and that's your opinion then yeah. and what what if you have some sort of law that you feel very uncomfortable with as a president then you can say well people elected me everybody knows what I stand mm-hmm. for and I'm not going to sign this into law yeah. even though it went through this entire democratic, uh, democratic process. process of course so when I hear people criticize the monarchy I very rarely hear them criticize the democratic aspects of it what I hear people complain about is how much it costs yeah yeah, and that's also the, uh, the, the in the survey uh, of, uh, of the youth, they mm-hmm. also said it costs just too much money. Yeah. That's what they said. Uh, but is this really the case? I don't know. I so, don't know. Tell us about this. The king's salary is 926,000 euros a year. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And other expenses are also paid. So he has a lot of staff, for example, and he travels a lot, of course. And that's also mm-hmm. paid for by the government. And that brings a total for the king to 6 million euros. Queen Maxima and Princess Beatrix, the former queen, they also receive a salary and their expenses are also uh, paid. Um, Maxima gets 400 euro, 400,000 euros not 400 euros, 400,000 euros, and Beatrix 523,000 euros. Um, And that brings a total uh, for staff, for travel expenses to 8.4 million euros a year. Okay, not not chump change, right? Like not nothing, but also not like... But a lot of people also seem to think that other members of the royal family, they get paid as well. But that's not the case. The brother of the king, he just yeah, has... Yeah, they don't get any. No, he just has to take care of his own money. Yeah. And sometimes that leads to someone owning a lot of buildings in Amsterdam yeah. and exploiting people with okay. the rent. Um, but uh, yeah, they just have to take care of their own, of course. Um, security... Uh, costs is, are not included with this. Uh, the government do, does not disclose any information about that for security reasons, of course. Um, but the total budget of the monarchy, so that includes also the upkeep of um, of uh, of palaces mm-hmm. and historical buildings, is forty three million a year. But that's the official amount. Yeah. Um, 
and the king doesn't have to pay personal taxes oh. or income tax because yeah he uh, that that's part of his uh, royal privileges but he does have to pay for example added value tax yeah. so he's not exempted from that and also other incomes uh, other than his uh, yearly salary um, he also has to are pay are taxed so yeah, if somebody wants to pay him well. to come speak somewhere he has to pay taxes on he that. would never get paid to speak wow. somewhere okay what what is he going to do then he maybe he has stocks investments, investments yeah okay that's something true. like that All right um, but according to the Republican Society, the real cost of the monarchy is 345 million euros a year. Um, and then they include uh, the missed tax incomes because yeah, the royal family has an estimated uh, um, uh, uh, wealth of 12 billion euros. Yeah. We have no idea if that's true, but yeah. they're obviously not the poorest of families. Um, so, But based on that estimation you can uh, calculate this uh, 345 million euros a year yeah. and compared to well I, lo- I read a lot of articles um, uh, comparing the cost of the Dutch monarchy to other royal families monarchies in Europe and they all claim that the Netherlands are is one of the most expensive monarchies in Europe which I frankly do not believe at all yeah uh, I mean if you look at for example the United Kingdom how many members of that family they just get exp- uh, they get paid from the government yeah. as well and that's so many people and they have so many palaces and also Belgium for example yeah. uh, um, Spain Spain um, yeah so I what I think is that uh, the, the Dutch costs are much more transparent. It used to be the case that a lot of these expenses and costs, they were spread over different ministry, ministries and different departments. Right, so, so you couldn't figure it out. Couldn't yeah. figure it out without really uh, going through all yeah. the budgets. But yeah, nowadays it's much more included into one budget. Mm-hmm. So I think that might have to do something with it. But I have no way of, uh, of proving this, though. But yeah. that's just... Uh, Also, I kind of take issue with the fact that they include the maintenance and upkeep of the palaces because, I I mean, I don't think that if the monarchy ceased to exist that the Dutch state would just, like, (laughs) let these palaces fall into... Yeah, they're not just going to, like, tear them down and build an Albert Hein there, right? Like, they would would maintain them and they would probably be turned into some kind of museum. I mean, a lot of the palaces are sort of, like, there for, like, people to go view on days and stuff like that anyway. I mean, they're sort of, like, maintained as, like cultural heritage so i find it a little disingenuous that you like include you know that kind of yeah, stuff yeah and imagine in it. if if we would replace the monarchy with a uh, with a presidential uh, system that person also has yeah, to live somewhere, somewhere and then uh, you could imagine that he would live for example in house temples where, where yeah. the king is living now yeah. so yeah that's also costs that you would yeah. have to include um uh, or, or, or would just be the same if you have a president or a um uh, or a king and also um yeah a president has to be elected mm. that co- you know elections, elections cost, cost money. money of course uh, uh, campaigns cost money that's not public spending of yeah. course but still it's money um and uh, what you will also tend to see after a presidential term uh, has ended, uh, this president also pro- probably will have um, uh, a pension or something, yeah. a state pension. And that's also money. So if you have four living former presidents uh, in the Netherlands, then perhaps the sum of all these yeah, it's um, kind pensions of will, out. Yeah, will probably be the same as... Uh, as uh, Having a king, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, the king doesn't do nothing in exchange for this money, right? Like, the king shows up to a lot of stuff. Yeah. It kind of has a lot of, like, official obligations, yeah. right? It's not a like he's just, like, kicking back, playing Nintendo Switch, yeah. like, enjoying his house all the time, right? Yeah. You know, he's got to go to ribbon-cutting ceremonies and events. I mean, we were looking, I think, at their schedule earlier, and, like, it's quite full with, like, a lot of these kinds of things. And those events don't cease to exist because the monarchy ceases to exist, right? So in Delft, the king was here in Delft a month ago, right, or something, to open up this new uh, uh, quantum computing laboratory oh, yeah. thing, yeah, right? The university. Yeah, and the university is going to want someone to come. So instead of the king coming, they're going to want Mark Rutte to come or, like, you know, the head of the defense ministry or something yeah. like this, right? Yeah. And, like, that... That means that that's taking time away from the politicians doing, like, the actual business of politics. Exactly. Um, So I think in a way it's kind of nice to have a monarch or a, I guess, like a president, some sort of, like, figurehead elder statesman sort of person who can go around and go to these, like, ribbon-cutting things. But you also have to keep in mind that the king very often visits these um, charities, for Mm. example, or or volunteers. And, I mean, the... You, you cannot underestimate the value for these people to 
receive a visit from the king. Yeah. It's just it's just a, a huge honor. Yeah. And the question is, could could a president do that? Of course, can he do that? Yeah. But would it work? Yeah. The same as having it's not a king? this. I don't think it's the same for sure. No. I mean, you know, Mark Rutte, I think, has you know fairly high approval ratings. It is considered a pretty benign, I think, by most people, prime minister, right? That even people who don't love him and don't love the Veve Day, I mean, he does not draw the ire that, let's say, Theresa May does, right? No, that, no, no. But, I mean, that's a fluke of Mark Rutte. That's a, that's a quality of Mark Rutte, not necessarily a quality of all prime ministers, right, in the Netherlands. That there have been other prime ministers, and there probably will be prime ministers going forward who generate a lot more strong opinions, right? So when the prime minister turns up for like this ribbon cutting thing, right, that is sort of couched in politics. Whereas like when the king turns up, it's just like, a, you know, there's no kind of political affiliation associated yeah. with this. I yeah, guess unless you're going to say like pro and anti-monarchy politics, I mean, presumably the king is not. Yeah, but as we said, 80% of the people in the Netherlands, they think that having a king is a good thing, yeah. or at least not, not worth uh, changing into a presidential yeah. system. So yeah, the, the vast majority of people uh, like this idea. And I think that as long as this uh, percentage stayed this high, uh, we just should keep yeah. having this system. And I also think that is if these surveys tend to, uh, for example, if a survey comes out and 55% of people uh, think that we yeah. should change it into then i think that we should definitely have for example a referendum yeah. on should we keep the monarchy or not so if the if willem alexander like went off the rails today and i don't know like just started got a swastika tattoo on his face <sighs> is there a way to uh like kick him out so yeah. what was that what's that process like yeah there is a way um uh, the constitution says that the um uh, a united assembly of both States general, so the first and the Tweede Kamer, they have the power to declare a king unfit for ruling. Okay. So they have the power to force him to abdicate. They also have the power to exclude someone from the uh, uh, list of succession. Yeah. So the, which they've done before. Did they? Well, they forced uh, the king's other brother. Oh, that's to true. Not, yeah, yeah. Okay, but they never excluded the number one from the list. No. No. no but they. That's uh, true. Yeah. That's that's also a thing. Uh, when you are on the list of succession, then you have to ask uh, Parliament for permission, permission to, marry. to marry someone, and they didn't. A or uh, I believe it was um, Frito. He, yeah. He didn't ask permission, so he was automatically excluded yeah. from the from the list. Well, I think he didn't ask because he knew he wasn't going to get it. Probably. Basically. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Um, so yeah, there are ways to get rid of a king. Um, also, very democratic ways. Yeah. I have to say, because, yeah, you know, I mean, it's an elected body that says, yeah, that oversees uh, oversees the king. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I also wanted to talk about uh, international prestige because the king visits a lot of countries uh, yeah. in the year. He he does a lot of state visits or semi-official state yeah. visits, uh, and but when he travels to whatever country, then he always brings with him dozens of people, representatives from companies, from manufacturers, yeah. from agriculture, whatever, and they travel with him and they uh, get in touch with representatives of their same fields, but yeah. then from the other countries. Again, can the, can a president yes. do this? Of course, but would it work as well as I the king does it? I think in the Netherlands, there is one person who is the most pro-monarchy, and that's probably Willem Alexander for very obvious reasons. And I think the second person in this country that is pro-monarchy is Mark Rutte, because yeah. I think... The existence of the monarchy makes Willem Alexander or makes Mark Rutte's job a lot easier. A lot easier, yeah, yeah, yeah I think so too. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? Are you a, are you a Republican? Uh, no, I'm not a Republican. I think um, a lot the, the the general opinion in the Netherlands is we have we have a monarchy now. Yeah. It's something that we have. It works well. Yeah, it's we don't have many problems with it, so it's not. If it ain't broken, don't fix don't it. Fix it. Yeah. But if we would start over tomorrow yeah. again with the country, would we ever have a consider no. having a king? Of course not. But, you know, as the time being, as we are not experiencing a lot of troubles, problems with the king, then I think that I don't mind. No. I mean, the, the imagine the hassle of, of changing the constitution in such a way that yeah. the king is scrapped i mean yeah it seems like we have other stuff to worry about we have more urgent matters yeah. i think i agree yeah. with you and completely. you what do you what come 100 i agree with you yeah even i think it's the only thing from... in the world that we agree 100 on that uh okay yeah but just very practically speaking like what you said i mean you 
you know, if you were designing a system from the ground up, you would never put a, a, a hereditary like monarchy in place now, right? But it, it doesn't really seem to be causing a whole lot of problems. And like, I mean, I, I like 43 million euros a year is just like not that much money in the budget. Even if you take into it, even if you don't quibble over how they came up with those numbers, like it just seems to me that like the cost of and the strife of and the amount of energy that's going to be spent on on changing the system seems not worth it. And we should devote all of that to dealing with climate change, which is a much more large, <laughs> large and pressing issue for this country that's mostly underwater. Yeah. yeah. I read somewhere, um, there was also an article, and that was clearly written by someone who was pro-monarchy. He, calc- he calculated how much money was earned by having yeah. the state visits. And uh, yeah, he came up with this enormous amount of money compared to the relative low cost of having the monarchy. Yeah, yeah again, this is someone who... But I generally think that uh, when, uh, when you are living in a country somewhere and you get a visit from some sort of foreign dignitary, then I think I'm generally think that having his majesty, the King of the Netherlands yeah. come over makes much more impressions than yeah. Mark Rutte, president Mark Rutte yeah. or president Thierry Boudet. Yeah. Oh God. So regardless of whether or not you are pro or anti-monarchy, I think everyone is pro King's Day. Yeah, Which is the definitely. best holiday in the Netherlands. Yeah, do you have wild plans for King's I Day? I am flying back Aren't from you? Ibiza. So I'm on not, that day? On that day. So oh. we get back late at night. Uh, do you fly with KLM? We do not fly with KLM. Uh, otherwise um, you would probably have yeah, which something. Is, I'm very annoyed by... I did not book the, the tickets. Please don't listen to this. I hope my mother-in-law who did book the tickets is on this Because I, I love you for booking us tickets to Ibiza. That's great. But um, yeah, we're not on KLM, which makes me very Next upset. time, book KLM. Book I'm not KLM. sure if KLM is going to Ibiza. Probably I, no, they do. They did also fly a flight to Ibiza, yeah, which May- is why I'm extra annoyed about not mm-hmm. flying on KLM. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're flying back on King's Day. And I actually tried really hard to push for us to fly back a day early because I wanted to be here for King's Day because I really like King's Day and I lost this argument. So what are you doing for King's Day? Uh, it's uh, on Saturday, it's on a right? Saturday. I think I'm going to work. Of course you are. Because, yeah, we just, I'm going to work for Eastern, both Eastern days as well. And you it's get a national paid holiday and I get paid double. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, will, I like money more than I love my or, oranges, uh, orange tompoos. Will you wear a orange uh, tie? On? No. No? No. you got to wear something orange. Uh, you no. have to do something. Something? Okay, yeah. what, what can I wear? I don't know. But also, can you go to Hema and pick me up some orange tampus for Sunday? Because you don't buy that at Hema. Uh, where do you get it from? You go to the Diamante Ring or what is it? Oh, the, the fancy bakery. Yeah, b- but you know why you go there? No. Because we talked about this. William of Orange was shot oh, in Delft. Yeah. Yes. And his assassin stayed in a yeah. What is it? hotel? No, it's not no, a hotel. boarding house, probably. Yeah, something like that. And that building. Uh, still stands today, but nowadays there's a bakery in it. Oh. So when you get your orange tompooses from the building where the murderer of William oh, of Orange stayed, okay. I think that's a nice... Yeah, but you're not going to be in Delft. So, someone in our listenership can please go get me some orange tompoos from there because I will not be here and I would very much like it. Send us an email to podcast. I will be here on Friday, though. We will get me orange tompoos from Yes, from and I will the... put it in the fridge for you. Thank you. Yeah. And bring it on. I'll pick it up on Sunday. You're back on Saturday, I'm back right? on Saturday night. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's after the bakery is closed. Ah, yeah, yeah that's so, right. Great. Okay. But if anybody else that's wants settled. to get me some orange tampoos, <laughs> just totally fine. Just shove it down the uh, mailbox. Just shove it in the fine. mailbox. Uh, or t- uh, t- send, take some pictures of your orange tampoos eating and send them to podcast at Dutch News. <laughs> yeah, and maybe we'll too. put them up on the Instagram account. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's all we have for you this week. This uh, podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email uh, to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also um, back us now on uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. Well, not really for free, but... No, you have to pay money to get a shout-out. You have to pay money. My thanks to Molly Quell and not to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week.